It is Mother's Day. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. You, you see on the chart the term, there is one Lord. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. What I want to talk to you about to start with, let's just start out by saying that, that it's Mother's Day. And I want to make a, a few remarks before introducing the, the subject material that I've chosen to speak to you on this morning. Mother's Day began, I know some, th- some things about Mother's Day. And you probably do too. Mother's Day was originated by a woman by the name of Anna Jarvis. And she wanted to set aside a day every year to remember her mother. To remember her mother because she was a good woman. And she was a remarkable woman. A lovely woman. And Anna wanted to remember, to recall her. And she wanted everyone then to think about their own mothers on that day. She asked others to honor their own mothers. She wasn't interested in honoring motherhood. It doesn't take a lot to become a mother. It takes a lot to be a mother, but it doesn't take a lot to get started. So Anna Jarvis was not concerned about honoring motherhood. She was concerned about honoring her mother. And so we should be concerned about honoring our mother, your mother. Not mine, yours. And I'm not going to try to say anything about your mother. But you need to be thinking about her instead of, of course, anybody else's. Now, I know a lot about mothers. I've had one. And I had her for a long, long time. And I had a good grandmother as well. And I had a great mother-in-law. And I've got a good wife who is a good mother and I have two daughters that are good mothers and a good daughter-in-law who's a good mother so I know a lot about mothers and I know that I, I know what makes a mother's day now listen to what I'm saying I know what makes her day and I'm going to tell you what makes her day what makes a mother's day is her children Now, mothers are going to receive notes, cards for today. They'll receive poems and flowers and candy and gifts. And all of these are thoughtful and remind us of what we think about our mother. But you know, the thing your mother wants more than anything else today, she wants to hear your voice. She wants to hear your voice. If that's all you do for your mother today, call her and talk to her. If she's gone, you can't do that. You may have left flowers at her graveside. You may have done something in her memory. But the mothers that are alive want to hear your voice. Now, I want to tell you, and let's just look at the chart together this morning. See if I can get it going. I can, maybe. There it is. I know what what makes mom's day. I know what makes your mother's day. A good mother wants you to be safe. Isn't that correct? When I was a little guy, 
The main thing my mother was concerned about was not that I would not look both ways when I crossed the street. You may have gotten that lecture. Be careful. Don't watch out for cars so forth. I didn't live in a place where we had a lot of cars running around, so she wasn't concerned about that. Mother usually was concerned about me climbing a tree that I shouldn't be climbing or playing somewhere where I shouldn't be playing that was dangerous. But she wanted me to be safe. Your mother wants you, when you were a child, when you were little, she wants you to be safe. She wants you to be careful. And as you get older, as you got older, it became more of a matter of environment. She wants you to be in a safe environment. She wants you to have the right type of friends. Now that's what my mother became concerned with as I got older. She wasn't concerned whether or not I would run too fast or get hurt playing football. She did. She was concerned about that to some degree. That I wouldn't come in, come in on time for dinner and so forth. And things like that did happen. But my mother was concerned that I made the right friends. And she always wanted to vet my, my friends. When my friends came over, she wanted to get acquainted with them. She wanted to know who you're, who you're, who you're playing with, Billy. Who are, you, who are you making friends with? She wanted to make sure that I had good, solid, trustworthy friends. And she wanted to make sure that I was avoiding unsafe activities. She wasn't concerned, as I said before, she wasn't concerned about me skinning my knee or bumping my head. And, and as I got older, she wasn't concerned about whether or not I went skydiving or snow skiing, or parasailing, or scuba diving. That wasn't what she was concerned about. She was concerned about the environment I was in, that I was in a safe environment. She, want, she wants you to be safe, your mother does, and out of trouble, and to keep away from the wrong crowd. If you want to make your mother's day, you let her know you're running around with the right folks. You have the right crowd. You're in a safe environment. You are with good people. You're not addicted to violence. You're not addicted to alcohol. You're not addicted to drugs. You're in a safe environment and you're not in jail. That's what your mother wants to know about you. She wants you to be safe. And if your mother's already gone, that's what she wanted before she left. That's what your mama wants for you. And that makes her day. She wants you to be content. She, she can sense when you're dissatisfied. Did you know that? Your mother knows when you're not satisfied. She knows when you're not content. She knows when you're restless. She knows that, uh, that things are not going well for you. She understands that. You don't have to tell her. You ever heard of this business of writing someone and them reading between the lines? That's what your mother does. You don't have to write her. You just have to talk to her and she'll read between the lines. She'll know whether or not you're content. She'll know whether or not you're making something of yourself. And when we talk about making something of yourself, we're not talking about becoming wealthy and, and having a great position. She's, she's wanting, about, wanting to know that you make yourself make something of yourself because you're becoming a good person that people admire. That people admire you for your integrity, for your honesty, 
for your decency. You're, you make your mother's day when she understands that you could be a used car salesman and people would trust you. <laughs> that you could be a telemarketer or a door-to-door salesman and people could trust you because you're fair and you're honest and you have integrity. She, she doesn't care what kind of job you have as long as you are content. And she doesn't really care whether you buy a new half million dollar Maserati to drive. What she'll probably ask is, how did you get that? You didn't steal it. You didn't do anything illegal, did you, to get that? You, 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 you were honest, weren't you, when you, when you got that, that car? That's what she wants to know. She probably has some questions about it when you get too much. My mother would. She wants you to be happy too. She wants to hear cheerfulness in your voice. When you call her and talk to her, she knows when you're unhappy. You can be 5,000 miles away and on the telephone with your mama, and she knows whether or not you're happy or unhappy. She's a great detective on happiness. She can hear it in your voice. If you're unhappy, she's unhappy. You can text her and she'll catch it in a text. She'll know whether or not you're happy or unhappy in a text. You can you can send her a Western Union telegram and she'll know whether or not you're happy or unhappy. Your mother wants you to be happy. You can't conceal your unhappiness from your detective mother. If mama's not happy, then nobody's happy. So we need to make mom's day. You need to be happy. And she wants you to be optimistic. She wants to hear cheerfulness in your voice. She wants to, she can tell, she can detect cheerfulness. You break her heart, you break her heart with criticism. You tear her down by moaning and complaining and criticizing about the unfairness of your life and lot, or your lot in life. Her spirit needs to be lifted, her heart needs to be lightened. And she needs to know that you're looking forward to tomorrow and the day after that. That's what will make your mother's day. If, you're, if she knows you're safe, that you're content, that you're happy, and you're optimistic. Now, you have given me approximately 45 minutes to speak to you this morning. About that amount of time. If I were to ask your mother... What can I say to this group of people about someone who could make them safe, content, happy, and optimistic? Would you like for me to talk about that individual? Or do you want me to talk about you? What kind of wonderful woman you were? What do you think your mother would say? Tell them about someone who can make them safe, content, happy, and optimistic. So, I think I have a mandate from your mama. She wants me to tell you about a man we're going to call the Lord. Let's start with defining a word that describes the one who actually, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you about a man who can make 
that happen. Can guarantee that he can make that happen in your life. Your mom would be proud of me. Because I can tell you about this, this man. His name is the Lord. You know, we just brush over that word pretty quickly. Just like that. Lord. What does it mean? Well, it's a word we use, but probably we're not familiar enough with what that word means. When we use the term Lord, we're talking about a word that is pregnant with authority. That is filled with dynamite and power. Did you know that? I can tell you how the word Lord is used in the Bible. And I can tell you how generally we use it today. We don't use it today as much as they did years ago back in the, back in the dark ages and so forth. And back in the early times of Christianity and back in, in, the, uh, in the 15th, 16th, 17th century. But I can tell you what the word meant then. And I can tell you that it, it was a title of respect. When someone called someone Lord, they respected that person because they thought that person had some ability to do something they couldn't do. I cannot make you happy. I cannot create optimism in you. I cannot make you safe. I can't make you content. But I know somebody who can. And his name is the Lord. It's the Lord. Now, it's a title of respect, but it's also it's also used as a master. Sometimes in the New Testament even, we run across the term Lord when it says Lord and it talks about someone who is a master of a household. Someone who had authority and could do something, had the power to do something. And the same thing with owner. An owner of a vineyard was sometimes called a lord. And then the ruler was called a lord. Someone who ruled the lives of other people, like a magistrate. So that's how this word lord was used. So what I'm going to talk about is a man who's called the Lord, who can actually do what we said would make your mama happy. This man, this Lord, our Lord, the one Lord we read about in Ephesians 4, can make you safe. Absolutely guaranteed. He can. He can make you content, He can make you happy, and He can make you optimistic. He can do that. Because He is the Lord. Let's look at how... And I, I, this, this is so very interesting to me. I hope it is to you too. Let's look at how this word was used in the Bible. When we talk about someone who has all authority, the very first name that comes to our mind is God. God can do anything and everything. He can, can't He? Now, last week I think I introduced the idea that that the God of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, was, was so magnificent and so majestic in the minds of the Hebrews that they were afraid even to pronounce His name. They were afraid to say His name. Now, if you look at these, these are Hebrew words on the board. The first name is, and that's the one you find in, Genesis, in Exodus 3.14, the God who is, that, that's what the word means there. My name, is, my name is Yahweh, and that's how that's spelled. Hebrew, Hebrew is written from right to left. So if you look at, if you look at that, the first one, the top one that I have there, you have the, the first little symbol is a yod, 
and then a hey, and then a then a uh, valve, and then a hey again. So it's actually there, there's only three vowels in the Hebrew alphabet. Two of them don't even look like vowels. So what they what they did was instead of having vowels, and if they were playing Wheel of Fortune and said, "I want to buy a vowel," you wouldn't have much choice in a vowel you could buy. The major vowel they had was the vowel Aleph, which is A. Okay, now then, they, they put points or little marks either above or below the letters to show that they had a vowel that they could pronounce. So the first, first name is uh, Yahweh. So it's Y-H, Vav, H. There's no vowels in it. So some have come along and said, well, now we need vowels in order to pronounce this name. And they, I want to tell you again, the Jewish writers and theologians will not say that name. And they won't even write it. They won't write it because they're afraid it'll be erased if they write it. Or someone will smudge it or it'll be burned up. So they, they won't do that. However, they will, if a Christian writes it, they'll burn that paper. But they won't say that name. So the next name is the name that they contrived. And by the way, that name appears, uh, the word Y-H-V-H, appears 6,828 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot of times that that name appears, doesn't it? it but it's translated by what, what they call a tetragrammaton, four letters. And that's all they are, four Hebrew letters. The next one down is the word Adonai, which is Aleph, it starts with, and then a Daleth, and then a Nun, and then a Ai, or Y, Yod. So you have Adonai, and they took the vowels that they kind of contrived out of that word and put it in the top one, in the Yahweh. And some have said, okay, it, then it spells Y. A-H-O-V-A-H. Yehovah or Jehovah. Jehovah is probably not accurate at all. But what they did was, and that bottom, that bottom name is, I want you to tell me what you think it is. The first one is He Who Is or God. And the one below it is that they use to translate and they'll say that one instead of the one above it. You know what that word is? Lord. Wow. So they took a name. They took a word and said, this word describes the Lord God of Israel. Adonai. And they'll pronounce that one. That's the word Lord. So how much power is in that name? How much power is in that word Lord? <laughs> The power of heaven and earth is in that word. Amen. So now you have the word Lord translating the name that they wouldn't even pronounce or write down because they know there's power in that word. There's power in that name. There's magnificence in that name. There is ability in that name. That's, what they, that's why they don't, uh, they don't translate it and that's why they don't write it down. But they'll use the term Lord and that tells us then that we have a word that can describe 
the capability and authority of Jesus Christ. That's, that to me, that is, that is just overwhelming. It's overwhelming that, that they'd use the word Lord. And now I'm going to show you that that word Lord in the New Testament defines Jesus Christ. And that's the Greek word, karios. And the Greek has vowels and it has consonants. So this is the word that you read in the New Testament, it's karios. And when the, when the writers of the New Testament translated the Old Testament... In the Septuagint version, which is a, a manuscript that we found that was 200 years before Christ. That's how old it was. It was the oldest Greek extant manuscript in the world about the Bible. And the Old Testament uses that term karios to talk about the Lord God of Israel. Well, how powerful is that name? That, that name... The name Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one who has no rival. From the time, there, there are other terms, the Lord God of Israel. So that talks about the power and the authority of the God of heaven. From the time of Augustus, Caesar, the Caesars in Rome took upon themselves the title Lord God of Rome. Wow. What they were saying was, it all starts and ends with me. And I can do anything I want to do. And people were, were inclined or asked to, to actually appeal to Caesar as God. And once a year, he had all of his servants all over his empire come along. And it wasn't just Augustus. as those followed Augustus. Tiberius and Caligula and uh, Vespasian and so forth. They had... Everyone in the empire come before a magistrate and confess that Caesar was Lord God of Rome. And if they didn't do it, they were killed. Can you imagine what the Christian felt when every year he had the obligation, the man had the obligation, to go and make that confession that Caesar is the Lord God? They didn't do it. They wouldn't do it. God bless them, they wouldn't do it. They would not confess that Caesar was the Lord God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 29 through 36, we know who the Lord is. And as a matter of fact, that, that name, with all the power that it entails, was given to Jesus Christ, but it was not given to Him until after His death on the cross. Sometimes the apostles called Him Lord, but they didn't call Him Lord in the same sense that we're talking about after His resurrection. Because after His resurrection, Peter preached the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, it's recorded. And during that sermon, he said at verse 29, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. Peter was talking about a contingency of probably ten to twelve to 15,000 people listening to him. And he said... Let me talk to you about David the patriarch. He's dead and buried. His sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn of the oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus is God raised up, where we all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, 
And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, there's our word, Set thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. If you want something done, if you really want something accomplished, you've gone to the, you've gone to the department store and you've bought a pair of shoes and they hurt your feet. And you take them back. You, have, you, you stayed on the carpet at the house. You didn't scuff them up. You didn't run and play soccer ball with them. You just wore, wore them and they hurt your feet. So now you're going to go back to the department store and say, I, I need another pair or I need my money back. So the clerk is going to say, sorry, um, we can't give you a refund. You took them, up, you took them out of the store. Well, I remember sometime that I had, a, I had a problem. I bought something, and I took it back while I was in the store, and they said, you can't bring it back. Oops. It was expensive, too. <laughs> my wife said, you got the wrong thing. That was my problem. <laughs> so I tried to take it back. Can't do it. But I, I said, I just walked around the corner, and I walked back, you can't take it back. You can't give your money back. Wow. You know what we usually do then? We say, well, let me talk to your supervisor. Why are you going to talk to a supervisor? I didn't say that because I knew I was wrong. But if you're trying to get your shoes back and they say, no, we can't do it, you're going to say, well, let me talk to your manager. Why do you do that? Because the manager has power and has authority, and they can say, give them their money back, or let them swap the shoes, right? We can do that. As a matter of fact, if you get a lemon on a car, we now have lemon laws, and if you buy a car with thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, you take it back, let's say you take it back later than you should. You have a little good time, took a little trip, and then came back and said, this is a lemon, now you want to take it back. Well, you're not honest doing that, but people do that. But you know what happens? They'll, say, they'll take it to the salesman. He says, I don't have the authority to give you your money back. Okay, who does? Let's talk to the manager. The manager says, I'm sorry. You, you know, you're looking at dollars $40,000. I, I don't have the authority to give you your money back. Well, let's look, at, let's look at the general manager of the area. He says, I'm sorry. I can't give your money back. And so what do we do? We keep going further back and further up the line until finally we hit somebody who has the power to make something happen. Do you see where I'm heading with this? I know someone who has the power to make something happen in your life. And his name is Jesus. If you want, if you want to be happy, I know someone who has the authority and the ability and the power to make you happy. And when you're happy, your mama's happy. Isn't that something? Jesus can make your mother happy by making you happy. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, at verse 13 through 16, this, these are just a couple of passages I really 
want to read because, because they're so emphatic in what they say about Jesus. And I'll tell you something else in just a moment. It says in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, it says, uh, let's see if I've got the right verse here. Where am I? I'll get it. Why did I why did I lose that? He's made him king of kings and lord of lords. Well, that's the trouble of getting old. You you begin to lose some things. But anyway, verse sixteen says about Jesus without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified by the uh, in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And then in chapter 6 at verse 13, he said, I give you charge in the sight of God who quickens all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that you keep this commandment without spot, unbreakable, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now that's Jesus. So here's this word Lord. In the Old Testament it talks about the final authority and the final one of the power as being the Lord. And now then in the New Testament, the New Testament is telling us that it is Jesus Christ who is the Lord, who has the final authority, and who has the power to do what we are asking Him to do. So, we we come we come to the come to the point that we want to know see if I can get back to where we started. We want to know how I can be safe. How can Jesus Christ make me safe? Well, he can take me out of the darkness, out of bad company, evil communications, corrupt good manners. If you will Put your life in the hands of Jesus Christ. He will get you out of that bad company. And He will put you in good company. He'll take you out of the darkness. And He'll help you learn how to have fellowship with those who walk in the light as He is in the light. That'll make you safe. And that will make your mama happy. Get away from that crowd that takes you in the darkness. Get away from that group that says, Hey, let's go have some fun over here. And get in trouble. Get in the light. And if you're in the light, I can guarantee you right now, when Jesus puts you in the light, your mother's going to be happy. You're going to make her day. You'll make her day. And He can make you content. Jesus can. You say, well, how can He make me content? Maybe I'm unhappy with my job. So I'm going to complain to my fellow worker. He's going to know I'm unhappy with my job. Then I'm going to complain to the to the overseer. I'm going to I'm going to complain to everybody I can going up the line. I'll tell you what Jesus is going to do with you. He's going to make you content with what you have. Paul said, "I've learned in whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content." And in Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse five, and this is one that's very interesting: "Be content with such things as you have." Okay, you don't make a million dollars this year. You don't buy the new car that you wanted to buy. Okay, you don't have the job you want to have. Can you be content? You can be content. 
Jesus can, but I can't make you content. Your boss at work can't make you content. Your neighbor can't make you content, even though they, they lock up the dog or put the dog away that barks and aggravates you all the time. They, they can't make you truly content down inside, can they? But there is one who can. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus Christ in your life will make you content. And he can make you happy. <laughs> he can make you happy. You know, not only can your mother see your frown, so can Jesus. He knows when you're frowning. So can everybody else around you know when you're frowning. But Jesus, if you put your life in the hands of Jesus of Nazareth, He will, I can guarantee you, it's not my guarantee, He can guarantee you, you will be happy. You'll get happy. It, it says in 1 John chapter 1, at verse 4, These things John said I wrote unto you. Now, you have to read the Bible. You can't, you can't be happy without reading the Word because it's the Holy Spirit that produces the joy in your life. He says, These things have I written unto you that your joy may be full. Amen. Watch a little kid get a treat and dance around with happiness. When Jesus gives you eternal life, and He gives you promises that your life will be better, watch you dance around and get happy about that. Because you can be. Jesus is the one that gives you joy. And He can give you optimism. Amen. You know, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring for you. I don't know what it's going to bring for me. But I'm optimistic because Jesus made me optimistic. He said, Bill, it's okay. Everything will be all right tomorrow. Your mother may have told you when you were little, don't worry about it. Go to bed and things will look better tomorrow. Well, that's what Jesus is telling you. Don't worry about it. Things will look better tomorrow. And they'll look better tomorrow because the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Lord. He's the one that we appeal to. You say, Bill, make me happy. I can't. Okay. John, make me happy. He says, I can't. So we keep going up the line, make me happy, until we finally get to the one who can. Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Lord. He can make you happy. He's the one that we finally appeal to to make you happy. You want to make your mama happy? Then let Jesus Christ take you into His arms and save you from your sins, wash you with His blood from all the sins you committed, and take you to heaven with Him. Mark Twain said one time, he said, you know why, I don't, why old people don't sleep very well? Because of all the ornery things they used to do. And you know, he was right. <laughs> and that happens until finally you say, Lord... Will you please forgive me of all the ornery things I've done before? There's such a thing as sleeping like a baby. You know why a baby sleeps like he does? Because he has a clear conscience. And when Jesus saves you from your sins and cleanses your conscience, you're going to have a good night's rest. 
If we can help you do that this morning, either by confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, by baptizing you into Him for the remission of your sins, or simply hearing you say, Hey, I want to, I, I want to, be, I want to be happy. I want to be content. I want to be safe. I want to be optimistic. I want to be with my Lord. And He wants you. He wants you. Let's stand together and sing.